Anyhow, good morning. Happy New Year. You may have noticed our welcome verse is also on the cover of your bulletin this morning. This is a verse that is very near and dear to my heart, and unfortunately you're going to have to hear the story again this morning, but that's okay. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That is a wonderful verse for the new year, isn't it? Hmm. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So we made it through our journey through the story of God and man together. And if you are curious as to where we're heading next, now I'm not following it exactly, but we are going to begin with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which if you are up on your Confession of Faith in a Mennonite Perspective, you'll recognize those as the first few articles of the Confession of Faith in the Mennonite Perspective. Now, I would hate to spend too much time on one part of the Godhead without going to all three, because there's a trapping, I think, in in, uh, the way we view God sometimes. Um, I'm just going to speak to you guys as Trinitarian people, because as far as I know, we all are. Right? God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, the trappings and the different ways that we worship God, sometimes we have a tendency to view them as being very different from one another, which they do have different persons, right? So in one aspect, that's good. But some of you probably have fallen into this trapping, which I fell into years ago and have been crawling my way out of because I'm very cognizant of it, is where we view God the Father and God the Son. And then you accidentally view the Holy Spirit as a tool used by God the Father and God the Son instead of God himself. Has anyone ever fallen into that or is that just me? I guarantee you it's more than just me. But we have a tendency to treat God, the Holy Spirit, as something God uses instead of being God himself. So um, I'm going to try to keep the Godhead all together um, just because I don't want to accidentally teach something, if that makes sense. I find that uh, as a teacher, we accidentally teach things all the time. Um, There's an old picture in the science books that shows the universe as being like an oval just because of the way it was printed. So there are people that truly believe that the planets are significantly closer to the sun in the summer because of that oval shape in the science book instead of because of the tilt of the earth. And if I'm confronting something that you truly believed right now, I'm sorry, Uh, (laughs) because some of you probably had that science book. But the way they used to print the solar system in science books led people just to adapt this or adopt this really strange belief that the universe is actually a big oval. Or our solar system, maybe not the universe. I'm sorry, I misspoke. But that the solar system is a big oval when in reality it's circular and the Earth is always approximately the same distance from the sun. Now, some of you that are better scientists than me can argue that, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, Norm's, he's like, no, it isn't. It is. For, for the layman, it is. <laughs> how, how, how big a differential is there between the, 
distance is from the sun. Do you know offhand? About 3 million miles. Oh, that's just a drop in the bucket. Yeah. <laughs> 3 million miles on a scale of light years is pretty small. All right. Um, <laughs> sorry. All right. Anyway. Um, but that was one of those things that was kind of a bunny there. I'm a bunny chaser. I'm a bunny chaser. As we get into the new year, uh, some of us make resolutions, or as we like to call them, light promises with no intention of keeping, or aimless declarations about weight loss or whatever it is that we're doing. I would actually like to make some resolutions this year, but not stupid ones, if that makes sense. Um, I want to get healthier. Now, granted, my doctor will tell you that that involves weight loss because they started writing mean letters on the top of my medical file a couple visits ago. They're mean. But my doctor will say that weight loss is probably a part of that for me. But that shouldn't be my focus. I don't want to do it for vanity's sake. I want to do it for the fact that maybe I'd like to meet my grandchildren someday. And uh, I don't know. I'll probably have to be a little healthier to achieve some of these goals, you know. But who knows? God has a plan. There's plenty of people that are old and in horrible health, and I don't want to be one of them. I'd like to be in better health as an older person. Um, you know, what's other things? Uh, as part of that, I'd like to drink less coffee. Not giving it up, but I'd like to drink a little less coffee, I think. I want to spend more time digesting scripture. I read a lot of it. So I don't know if reading more scripture is the answer, but I think I'd like to spend more time in prayer meditating on the scripture, which I read. These are resolutions that I'd like to make. Now, I had a goal weight in mind, but I threw it out. I haven't been at that goal weight in so long, I'm not even sure that that's healthy anymore. It always changes. Not to mention, I don't want to live in a world where I'm not allowed to eat cheesecake. Let's just be honest. It's vanity. Vanity, all is vanity. It's all vapor, right? I know I have abs under there somewhere. We never need to meet again. It's fine. I'm not worried about that. I'd like to be able to climb the stairs without being winded. I accidentally allowed my dog to get clipped by a car uh, last week. And she's okay. But it was scary. And I had to carry a 70-pound pit bull up a hill. And that's when I realized how out of shape I really am. Because even though I wasn't sure she was going to make it, I still had to set her down. <laughs> and that's not a good feeling. Oh, it is a blessing, though. Because she was, at that point, she was actually able to walk on her own power. And that was fantastic. But... Um, you know, these are frivolities, really, because as Paul will tell us, uh, physical physical exercise benefits little. Spiritual exercise uh, benefits much, right? But that can be a reminder that, I mean, Paul didn't say physical exercise has no importance whatsoever. We're supposed to treat ourselves as though we're where God dwells, right? Um. Now, granted, I added some graffiti to this temple a long time ago. Uh, that was a tattoo joke, if you missed it. 
but I should still be trying to keep it clean, keep it swept. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at some verses that would help me to bring in the new year, to be thinking about things I can be resolute about, not to make these like wistful statements about, oh, I'd really like to learn another language. Okay. I'd like to finish learning the English language. Shakespeare had a working vocabulary somewhere in the 50,000s. We do somewhere in the world of, what, like 3,000 words each or something like that. Our vocabularies are entirely impoverished at this point. Um, I'm, I teach grammar rules. It's the only reason I know them. They stopped teaching grammar when I was a kid, and they started doing it again. So now I had to learn it as a teacher. These are things I'm not supposed to admit publicly. I'm doing it. It's fine. Um, but I'd like to learn languages. I'd like to expand my mind. But what's so much more important than any of that is I want to be right before God because God has put me in some really incredible positions in my life because I don't deserve to be in any of them. But I get the opportunity to talk to children about Jesus. That is my day job, right? Because I get to speak to 12-year-olds, which is a fun stage of life. I'm not sure if you remember it. Uh, a friend of mine who actually taught middle school for years compares that age group to having a yard full of heavy equipment with no manuals. They're like a bad chemistry experiment happening all the time. And I love them, and they're amazing. But God put me in this really strange position because that, with the way I just described it, sounds like a nightmare to me, too. But I love my job. I get to speak to 12 year olds about Christ. That's my job. That's actually my job. That's cool. There's a lot of weight with that job. And then God put me in this other position where I get to speak to you guys about Christ. And that's amazing. And there's a lot of weight with this as well, because I'm not sure if I've mentioned it yet, but I'm an incredibly flawed human being, as all of us are. But I don't do well with masking my imperfections, so I'm going to talk about them. And I know not everyone is comfortable about that. But that's okay. That's okay. That's the wonderful, one of the most wonderful things about our tradition is uh, we process things as a group. I don't have all that much authority to dictate. I'm allowed to be a human being too. I do take this very seriously though. So if you hear me say something wrong, tell me, please tell me, tell me quickly so that I can decide whether I'm wrong or you're wrong or either way we can hug each other and be okay. But if I say something and it strikes you as being off, Tell me, tell me right away, preferably with a Bible verse attached to it, because I'm not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Some of you don't even like tea, and that's okay. It's all right. Uh, God gave me the superpower of a short attention span and a big mouth. They're kind of wonder twin powers, actually. They go together. But that means that I'm quick to speak, but I need to be read up or, and prayed up or I should have shut up, right? That's that old adage, be read up and prayed up or you should probably shut up. 
So I need to study more and I need to keep my heart pure because my mouth is going to be moving. And I need to make sure that I have something worthy of coming out of my mouth when it does. Some of you are soft-spoken and slow to speak. And in a very holy way, I think I appreciate that. I'm not envious because envy would be wrong, right? But I'm very appreciative of that quality in people. And I think it would probably be better at times, particularly at family functions, if I was a little slower to speak. And because I told you I was going to, I'm going to. Uh, <laughs> Psalm 51, 10 and 11. That's my bunker verses. Those are my bunker verses. I always call them my bunker verses, though it's the same verse, but why not? Um, I thought I was going to die, and those that's the scripture that God gave me in my head. I wasn't necessarily living well at the time either, but I was sure I was going to die. And for whatever reason, those are the verses that went through my head. It's created me a clean heart. Oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And at that moment, I knew I wasn't going to die because that was a very illogical verse to come to someone who's going to die. It should be, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit or some quick resuscitation of, uh, you know, a sinner's prayer or something, right? Like, God, please forgive me. I didn't mean to be such a bonehead. Things like that. But the verses that I had in my mind very vividly, very clearly were these ones because I needed to begin again. And every day we get this opportunity to begin again because faith is not an event. I accepted Jesus into my heart when I was four years old and five years old and a bunch of times when I was six years old and when I was eight years old and when I was 11 years old and probably 13 when I got baptized and then 15 and then 19 and then 23 and, right? It'd be hard for me to pick an event where I would say I asked Jesus into my heart because I did a lot of times. I decided to abide. Because God says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. I was also raised with a, this idea that God would throw me away when I sinned. So that would explain part of why I asked Jesus into my heart so many times as I thought I had to. But God promises he will never leave us nor forsake us nor give us up or leave us without support. I apparently did not get that memo till much later in life. But that's not God's fault. Nor do I recommend that you follow my paranoid practices from my teen years about faith. But what I would ask you to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ and to abide in him, to live in him. If you live in him, he will live in you. And if you can wake up in the morning and you can pray, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And some of us have spoken that who has ever had a perfect day where your behavior was perfect and your thoughts were perfect and your actions were perfect? Who has ever done that? Anyone. The closest I probably came was I was on a prayer team where we took shifts praying for an hour. 
for 24 hours a day throughout this youth retreat. And I was on the prayer team. And that's probably the closest I ever met, made it because we were be in prayer. But you know what I noticed is even in prayer with other people, I began to judge the way they were praying. <laughs> I know. But I'm like, wow, they're wordy. Do they really even know what that phrase means? Like everybody says it when they pray. They're speaking Christianese. Do they even know what they're saying? Right? We're so human. This is why we need a Savior. The law points out our sin, correct? That's what the law does. It points out our need for a Savior. I am incapable while striving to communicate with the Father with prayer that I wholeheartedly believe works. I'm still human. I'm still a sinner in the midst of that. And I don't mean to scare you. I'm not judging all of you when I pray. I was a teenager then. But I remember very clearly how frustrating I found that. That I realized I was judging people for praying differently. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm glad I'm the only one though. Right? <laughs> Oh, the next place I'm going to is Ephesians, Ephesians 4. And I say this a lot about the books of the Bible, but Ephesians is one of my favorite. Ephesians and James kind of flip-flops between the two of them, though I'm learning to love Romans more all the time. I am going to jump to verse 17. So I'm in Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. I could stop there almost, couldn't I? Anything we don't explicitly teach our children, they pick up from the world around them. Anything that we don't intentionally make part of our life, we pick up from the world around us. It infiltrates, right? We have the ear, this very clear thing in verse 17. You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. So much of what we do is absolutely futile. And that doesn't mean that everything is in inherently sinful that you do that is apart from the work of God, right? It used to drive me crazy when people would say, oh, that's in the flesh. And I know what they mean. I really do. But there's part of my brain that's like, well, you feed the flesh and you clothe the flesh and you bathe the flesh because God gave you the flesh, right? That wasn't what they meant, of course. But God gave us these temporal bodies. We need food. Less than I eat. I know that wasn't supposed to come out there. But uh, we need food. We need shelter. We need water, right? You are water. You're 70% water, 60 to 70% water. So there are concerns of the flesh that you're always going to be dealing with, but we're not supposed to walk according to the flesh. We're not supposed to walk in accordance to like, what makes me happy now? Am I living my best life? Are you living your truth? 
having their understanding dark and being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past, excuse me, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to the work of all uncleanness and greediness. Greediness. We just got through Christmas. Many of us have young loved ones. Do you think that we're immune to greediness? Especially after the reminder of Christmas morning. Are we immune to greediness? I don't think children's emotions are all that different from adults' emotions other than they're a little bit more pronounced and they're closer to the surface. If you want to see human condition work with children, they will teach you everything about yourself that you don't want to know. Right? But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So we're supposed to be, behave different. If we're creating, I'm sorry, I'm trying to phrase that better. If I'm trying to have a new heart, right? Which is God's work, not mine, right? If God is giving me a new heart, if I'm praying that God creates in me a new heart with new desires and a steadfast love within me, steadfast, a staying love, a love that is focused on Christ, if I'm putting on this new creation that I'm praying God gives me, I shouldn't be walking the same way. Really interesting uh, parallel there is in scriptures of how when Jacob wrestles with God, he never walked the same afterwards. Faith is like wrestling. It's striving. It's work out your own faith with fear and trembling. You will never read scripture and see pure black and white. There are things that are purely right and things that are purely wrong. Don't mishear me, please. But there is a lot of room for interpretation and discernment. But when we're encountering God, when we strive with God, when we wrestle with God, you will not walk the same. And I really think that that is a symbol that God put in the Old Testament showing that when Jacob wrestled with God, he never walked the same way again. And I know that was a little bit moralistic for the way I normally handle Scripture, but I'm going with it. I'm going with it because I think it's true. And if you don't like it, don't, don't worry. Don't worry. It'll be okay. Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. How many of us can be angry without sinning? Show of hands. Come on, people. Who's brave? Who has figured out how to be angry without sinning? I can do it for about a second, maybe three. 
where when I see something, I'm like, that's wrong. Righteous anger. It happens like that. I can recognize that's wrong. Now, where my brain as a new creation should go immediately is how do I restore that person? How do we get that person to acknowledge what's wrong and restore them to the Father? That should be my reaction. But my reaction is like your reaction. Well, how can they do that? Don't they remember what that did to their father? How can they do that? How could they possibly? Don't they know how much time I've spent on that person? Don't they have a clue what this is doing to me? Well, that makes me angry. We're not okay. And then the rage sets in and I'm sinning because I went from being righteously angered to petulant child in about three seconds. And we all do that. And now you're aware you do that. And I'm sorry, but we need to know this. Righteous anger exists, but it tends to be short with us. So we need to recognize the righteous anger. And then we've got to figure out how to lovingly restore one another. Instead of just heaping on judgment and anger, we've got to figure out how to restore that human being. That person who's beloved of the Father, like we're beloved of the Father. Because as far as I understand... Jesus doesn't actually love me more than Garrett. I'm just more aware of it because I'm living in it. Garrett, I don't want to insult you or anything, but Jesus doesn't love you more than me, right? We're just aware the Father loves us, right? And that the Father also loves him, but it's also because we're speaking about someone else. But when I see someone in error, I should be worried about them. I shouldn't be worried about how I feel. There are very few times in life where how I feel matters at all in the grand scheme of things. I feel led to do the work of the Father. Oh, it mattered then. It matters if someone hurts your feelings too. I'm not trying to disempower your emotions. If someone's being cruel to you, there's part of you that needs to recognize that and not pretend it's okay. We need to be able to communicate with one another honestly. So please don't mishear what I'm saying. I have a tendency to overspeak, and some of you have noticed that a lot lately. I have a tendency to speak very large, right? And when I say our emotions don't matter, I'm not saying I don't care about your emotions. I do care about your emotions. I care about your feelings. I don't want to be the stumbling block between you and the Father, and I can do that very easily by hurting your feelings, which God gave you. It's part of self-preservation. It's part of building relationships. That's why we have feelings. In my estimation, I'm, I mean, I'm not that up on the science of it, probably. The way I teach science is to sixth graders. Right? I can teach sixth grade science like nobody's business. If you want to really know what chemistry goes on, just in falling in love, I wouldn't be ready to have that conversation with you. I don't really know. I know it on a sixth grade level, maybe a ninth grade level. Who knows? Who knows? But as far as I can tell, God gave us our emotions and our reactions and our feelings to better facilitate being the church. To better facilitate actually having relationship with one another. I'm sure there's more to it, too. That's something that we can be thinking about. If I hurt somebody's feelings, well, they, had, they cared what I thought. 
That's amazing. Isn't it? If someone cares enough about what you think that you can hurt their feelings, like genuinely hurt their feelings, that's they've put you in a pretty special place, right? Because we become so hardened and jaded. If someone's in a position where they can easily hurt your feelings, that's, well, you kind of love them, don't you? We should take that seriously. We shouldn't look for reasons to be offended, though. That's very popular right now. And if you're offended by that, you're probably trying to be. But it's very popular to be offended right now, to be the victim. It's very popular. It probably always has been. But just hearing people talk, it trickles down to our children. You know, so-and-so made fun of me on the bus for going to a Christian school. Sorry. That's good training. You know, um, you hate to see it, though. You hate to see it. And then um, I always say that there's two verses that are kind of the song in my heart or two sections of scripture that are kind of the song in my heart. One of which being the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And the Great Commission. And you'll notice I put the Great Commission in here again. If I don't read the Great Commission to you at least five times in a year, be worried. Because it, it always comes back to the Great Commission. It always comes back to the Great Commission. It always comes back to John 3.16, and it always comes back to the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It always comes back to that too, doesn't it? And it always comes back to what Jesus actually commanded his disciples to do. Which is more than just this, but this is the last thing in bodily form that Jesus really is telling his disciples they need to get accomplished, right? Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Notice it's the eleven. I point this out every time too. It's the eleven because one failed really, really badly. Having the greatest teacher on earth, one of them still didn't make the cut. Being in the presence of God himself for years, one of them still chose to do something else. Right? You can be the greatest teacher, the greatest accountability partner, the greatest parent, the greatest grandparent, the greatest uncle. You can be the greatest friend on earth and you might still have someone that doesn't do what you want. Do you think that's because Jesus was imperfect? Well, if you feel that way, you, you got some stuff to work through, right? It isn't because Jesus messed up. It's because we are human beings. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Here's another human moment, but some doubted. Seeing Jesus in resurrected form, some are still not willing to accept that this is what is happening. It probably just looks like him, you know. I haven't seen Jude in a while. Do you think Jude looks like his brother? I'm not sure. What do you think? Some of them doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, 
All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So in these three sections of Scripture, we find things that I would consider to be New Year's resolutions. That I'd be praying that God creates in me a clean heart and renews a steadfast spirit within me. That he restores unto me the joy of my salvation. If we read down a verse further, and perhaps we should. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. How many of you remember coming to faith and having an excitement? Because in that moment, you realize that everything was new and everything was changed. Do you remember that? The joy of your salvation. Are we finding the joy in our salvation or are we mourning the fact that we can't do what we used to or what we want to? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Can I walk in the joy of my salvation without being a second-rate Mr. Rogers? I love Fred Rogers, by the way. That wasn't... But can I walk in the joy of my salvation? In Ephesians, it also talks about can I walk differently... Can I walk in a way that demonstrates the power of God? And I doesn't, that doesn't have to be walking around healing people, but can I walk in a way that demonstrates the power of God? The transformative power of God. I live in my hometown. Anybody that's known me longer than five minutes knows I have plenty of opportunity to show people how God can change people. And what's incredible, what's incredible are my sinner friends, the people I used to sin with, are usually blown away and incredibly supportive of the changes that they see in me because most of them expected me to be dead by now. That's true. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I talked to a friend of mine. He's agnostic. He's an old army buddy. And he says, I'm so proud of you for changing your life. I'm glad you found God and all that. He said, because I really thought you'd be dead by now. Well, amen. That's amazing. That they can see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. He isn't even sure there is a God, but he's glad I found him. I know there's a God, and I am doubly glad I found him as well. Or that he found me. I'm really not sure of the semantics of that. I'm glad he didn't let me go, though. You know, I used to spend so much energy trying to figure all that out. Did I choose God? Did God choose me? Does God know already in advance? Blah, 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 right? It's becoming more and more clear to me every day that that's almost none of my business. I don't know the mind of the Father. 
I don't know the mind of the Father. I'd like to know the heart of the Father. And that's all I have for you this morning. And I hope that I hope that I'm encouraging and not giving guilt. I want you to be encouraged in your faith. I don't want to be the person that stands between you and the cross. Really cool catchphrase from our one Bible study is the ground is even in the foot of the cross. Ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all come to the cross as equals. Doesn't matter if you sin differently than me or look differently than me or whatever. Ground is level at the foot of the cross. I don't want to be a stumbling block in front of the cross for anybody. I just am hoping that if I can train my mind and my heart when I wake up in the morning just to repeat those words that are so dear to me. Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And renew a right spirit within me. Anyway, if you can do so without pain, would you please stand with me? Father God, I thank you for another year that I did not earn. Father God, I thank you for these people, for this family that you've given me, for the opportunity to minister that there's no way I could earn or make up for the wrongs that we've all done. Lord God, I pray that you would continue to bless us as only you do. Yeah, I pray that you would just continue to draw us closer to you, closer to one another. Father God, I pray that we would make much about Jesus, that we would make less about ourselves and just so much about you, Lord. Father God, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, you can sit down. Sorry. At this time, we'll have our time for announcements, prayer, and sharing, which will be led by Rob.